So we continue in the flood story tonight. Um, I don't know if James or Justin or one of them mentioned it in the last couple of weeks. I, I can't quite remember. Um, but there is 200 to 300 different flood account narratives in different cultures, almost on every single continent. Throughout the history of humanity, this is not a unique story to Christianity. And so as you study other people groups and you look at history and you see that so many people have recorded such a catastrophic event, it's kind of encouraging as a believer that we can get that same story here in the Bible with so much detail. Um, Studying this kind of launched me into this exploration of floods, so to speak, over the last couple of days. And um, I mean, I think we know that floods are common. Their impact is variable. It's just different wherever it might be. How many of you lived in Grants Pass in 1997, New Year's Day? You might remember this clip right here. Riverside Park. That's looking across at Tap Rock. Hellgate. Raise your hand if you remember seeing that. Crazy. Uh, Two things that stood out to me is it was worse than what I remembered, and I can't believe that was 26 years ago. I'm getting older, so I hate even saying that, but 1997, we're going to come back to that a little bit later. In regards to floods, there are two geographic areas that have kind of piqued my curiosity. They're pretty fascinating. New Orleans actually is built below sea level. You guys are probably aware of that. There's dikes and levees that protect them from the ocean. Holland is actually built on water with a dike system. Holland has been flooded one time in the last 197 years, one time. New Orleans got wiped out. Was it Hurricane Katrina, I think it was? It got wiped out just 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 years ago. At the peak of our technological and industrial pinnacle, it got wiped out with the flood. We're going to come back to those two situations or stories a little bit later, but chapter eight, verse one. We're in the middle of the flood narrative. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God did not forget. This is more of uh, when it says God remembered, it's more of God acknowledges Noah and all the beasts. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The wind there is ruach. You've heard that word used a lot. It's meant to, it's talking about the spirit. So this is a supernatural act. God intervenes supernaturally. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. So again, we're in this kind of a different chapter here in Noah's life. It's been a kind of a lengthy journey that we've witnessed in the past three weeks. Noah's name means rest and peace. It's going to come into uh, play a little bit later. We're going to talk more about that. But as looking at Noah's life, 
So 120 years of building the ark. He lives to be like 950 years or something like that. Starts building the ark like around 600 or whatever. So he builds the ark for 120 years. He's floating by the end of all of this when he finally comes off the ark. He's been on it for 370 days. I was trying to just put in perspective what that would be like for us. We obviously don't live 900 years. So what would that be like for us? Rough ratio, if you live to like 80 or 90 years old, just a a simple equation, it would put us at about 10 to 12 years of building an ark and warning people that a flood was coming and having zero response. And just think about that for a minute. Like if Matt or Matt and Mark and the guys that started Edgewater 18 years ago, whatever it is now, 17, were preaching for 10 or 12 years that this judgment was coming and got zero response, no response. And Noah is faithful and continues to do this. He'd almost be a little bit relieved to see the rain, like, oh my goodness, okay, something's happening here. And then he's on this ark, which is more like, the description of it is more like a floating barge. It wasn't intended to sail through the ocean. So it's more of like flat ends, like a barge so that it can just float through this flood. He's, he would be on the flood. It would be the equivalent for us of like five to six weeks straight. Now, I've never been on a cruise, not interested, love being on boats, but that seems like a long time to me. Now, I believe in the literal years of Noah's life, but I'm just trying to give us a little bit of perspective for our own lives, what that would entail and how much of our lives that would take up. We continue in verse four. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Love again, how detailed and descriptive this is for us. So there's um, very little wiggle room to argue or debate. The Bible's just clear. This is exactly what it is. The boat, the ark, settles on Mount Ararat. If you've done any kind of digging around and research, or maybe you've heard or read some of these things, in 1949, there was some satellite imagery that found, they call it the Ararat um, anomaly, the Ararat anomaly. So at the top of 17 or 18,000 feet, it's almost 18,000 feet It's the, of the two mountains, bigger than any mountain we have in the Pacific Northwest. I think Shasta's 14 or something. So it's really high, not easy to get to. There has been satellite imagery, now 70 years old, that shows what looks like the exact shape of where the ark might be. Um, I don't know. They say a lot of the dimensions, it matches like the six to one ratio of the length and the width and all of those things. It's hard to wrap my head around like, So you'd have thousands and thousands of years of this wood sitting at the top of this mountain, weathered and all these things. Probably wasn't pressure treated, I'm guessing, just a guess. There's probably some things that got worn out, maybe dismantled, the wood could have been used for things. But certainly there's gotta be some things that have been preserved. Maybe at colder temperatures or climates, some of that could have been preserved in some way. So it's pretty fascinating, the research that has gone into this, but it has been very difficult to do because for a long time, that area there in Turkey was under communist control. They've got obvious reasons for not wanting to prove Christianity. And then it slipped into uh, Muslim control, which obviously they would probably rather not 
confirm things in the Bible. So getting into that area and really doing some deep archeological digs is difficult. Um, there was more satellite imagery taken about 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I don't know. Uh, and I do know one guy got arrested because he came off the mountain with a piece of wood and he said it was from the ark and they proved that the guy was wrong. So I do know there's, there's people out there trying um, to deceive people and things, but it is fascinating and it would be really incredible if, if one day something like that was found. Now let's continue. Verse six, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot and she returned to him to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her hand and brought, took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days and again he sent forth the dove out from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and behold in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Aha. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. And then he knew it was clear. The raven is just symbolic of a, he, Noah was told to bring unclean animals. You send out a raven, it is an unclean animal. It would eat carcasses. As you can imagine, there was potentially quite a lot of carcasses could be floating in the earth at that time. Um, the dove is symbolic of, of peace and rest and hope and new beginnings. And we get that here as he sends out the dove. And then of course, um, the olive branch, um, olive is, it's pretty hardy and most scientists say it could easily grow underwater. That would be no problem for that to survive a flood. Verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from, the, from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, verse 16, go out from the ark. Hallelujah. 120 years, 370 days on this boat, and finally, a fresh new start. Maybe you noticed last week or the week before in the building and the construction of the ark, how many arks are built to save humanity? Remember how many boats were built? It's a trick question. There's one, right? You know how many doors there are to get into that ark? There's one door in, and it's that one door out that leads him into this fresh new start. One boat, one door by which Noah and his family were saved. For us, it's just as simple. There is by one person that we are saved, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only door that we can get to eternal life, the only way that our spirit can be revived, regenerated, that we can be redeemed only through Jesus Christ. It sounds simple. It sounds like, of course, we know that as believers, but that is a truth that is under attack. I don't know if you guys saw this past week. Um, AI obviously is everywhere. There was somebody probably at like that World Economic Forum with that Klaus Schwab guy that everybody's always posting videos about. I don't know, probably something like that. But somebody there was talking about artificial intelligence and they said, 
We have to make sure as people begin to use more and more artificial intelligence, we change some of the writings of the Bible so that they are less offensive as we move forward as a society. That, that is alarming, very, very alarming. Um, I actually ran Genesis 8 through an artificial, through AI, an AI website. We're safe. Most of the bullet points that came back were all biblically sound and everything. I was like, okay, as of right now, we're safe. But truth is under attack. It's alarming, it's concerning, but if you watch, you'll actually see these things blow up on each other. It, it, like, it can't stand. Eventually it caves on itself. I'll give you an example. Talking with a youth leader from the Willamette Valley. They've got some kids in their youth group and middle schoolers, and it's popular for kids to call each other monkeys now. And these are obviously that can go bad. And that has been used in the past to be a derogative term. It's, it can be used in uh, racial slurs and all of those things. These are a couple of high upper middle class, couple little rich 13-year-old boys being squirrels in class, calling each other monkey. Kid got expelled. Had a meeting with the family. Talks to him about being a monkey or saying the word monkey and all this stuff. And I thought, it's so funny that for decades, you have this subtle little teaching that you came from monkeys, and then now you say you're a monkey and you're expelled for saying that you are. So if you watch these things play out long enough and you keep proclaiming the truth and we keep plugging away, we keep putting our faith in Jesus, we don't get distracted by this world, you can watch these things just implode, eat each other up. Verse 16, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Noah's family was saved. They got a second start. They were blessed. Noah trusted and followed God, and so did his family. They said, if God is speaking to you, and this is crazy, you're building this ark and we've never seen rain, we're going to follow you and we're going to trust you and we're going to support you. And they were blessed for that. Men, lead your homes biblically. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. You've got wives to help. If you're doing something that you're saying is from the Lord and it is not biblical, they are there to help you. But men, lead. Lead your homes just like this. And wives and kids, Trust, if your dad is seeking the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind, God is going to bless your dad and he is going to bless you. That's a promise. Now, 370 days on this ark. Just think about that. So Noah's three sons, their wives, Noah and his wife. So what is that? Eight people? One ark, 370 days. How many of you guys have gone on a crazy long road trip this summer? You thought your 12-hour ride to Disneyland was bad? 370 days on the same ark, just these eight people. I was thinking about this, like, there's no bathroom stops. There's no, you can't threaten that you're going to turn the car around. You can't just like, I'm going to turn this ark around if you guys don't stop fighting. Like, 
there's no, hey, just like put on a movie. There's no like updating to social media. There's no letting them sit on their screens or on their phones. 370 days. Noah could just kind of like slip out and go three floors down and hang out with the animals, get a little break. But then I was thinking also like, so they're all adults. You have three sons, you have three of them with wives. I was thinking like, who would have been the most excited to get off the boat at that point? The mother-in-law, the three sister-in-laws, like, like just trying to think. Everybody at some point is gonna need a break from each other. But what was cool about the ark, at most they were probably taking up about 40% of the space. They say more like 25 to 40%, even with all the animals. So there's plenty of room for everybody. So Noah leads his family. They're blessed for that. A note for parents though. I think sometimes we talk about like leading well, leading biblically, your kids will follow. And that doesn't always happen. We will see in the next chapter that Noah's family does have some issues. And I think sometimes you can sit and you can listen to a message and you're like, man, I really feel like we've done a lot of the things that you're talking about. And I don't understand why my grown son or daughter or teenage son or daughter, or whatever it is, isn't walking with the Lord right now. None of us have parented perfectly. We've all tried. We could probably all point out our flaws and mistakes along the way. At some point, your children are their own. They have their own free will. They have to make their own decisions. They make their own choices. And at some point you have to let those things go and just keep being a presence and preaching truth and loving and, and just, you just gotta, you gotta be there for them. You will have those kids that will rebel. Two things that I've seen that have worked remarkably well in parenting is consistency and humility. Those two things are gonna get you a long way. Verse 17, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Again, we said probably max capacity, like 25 to 40% of the space was taken up. There's people that were, that they'll argue, there's no way that this is possible. You couldn't fit them out all on there. Um, if you do some digging and doing some research, and if you've got kids, this is kind of a fun thing to do. There's a place called the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. They've built a real ark. You've probably seen it. It's to the dimensions. You can go tour it. I mean, if you could go see it, that's great, but they also have some videos. And it's really cool with your kids to kind of show them how this actually could have worked. Now, some of these animals, it says of their kind, not necessarily of their species, but of their kind. So you have kinds that can mate within species. So a lot of scientists say, you just need two dogs. You don't need every single dog breed in the world. That's not what this is saying. It says get two kinds of every animal. So at most, they guess six to 7,000 animals. On the high end, you probably had six to 7,000 animals. Not all of those animals had to be full grown either. Some of those could have been smaller on the smaller side as they went in. So the amount of space that they had on the ark as well, you could fit 450 semi-trucks in. So anybody that wants to argue about the logistics of this, there's, it's pretty hard to refute how simple this would have been. 
Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. First thing he does when he gets off the ark is builds an altar. I don't know about you guys, but setting foot on ground after being on a boat is a good feeling. I can't imagine 370 days on an ark, not knowing exactly when you're getting off this thing to finally come out of the ark and set foot on dry ground. You know, when you get off a boat, you're kind of wobbly. You've been wondering this whole time, am, am I actually hearing from God? It seems like it. Is this ever going to end? And you come out from the ark and you set your foot down on dry ground. I don't know about you guys, I'm not a big crier. I, I was like, what would I do? I'd probably put my face on the ground and just weep. Just like, thank you, Lord. Noah steps off the ark, builds an altar. And this is why God had mercy on Noah. This right here. This reveals what was truly in, God, in Noah's heart. God knew Noah's heart. His first act is to worship God. And this isn't a feeling. What Noah experienced in this moment is not something you can microwave. Just like our faith, like, you have to go through things to feel the impact and the gravity of it, to know how big and awesome and gracious and merciful our God is. This moment right here for Noah took 120 years plus 370 days for him to, to be able to completely feel this. I don't know if it has something to do with like, a tech generation where you have like 15 second videos or 20 or 30 second videos. But I feel like I see far too many people thinking that they're deserving of the crown way before their time. And it's not, I'm sure like we've all been there. I'm sure I've been in the same spot, like antsy and anxious and wanting to move forward. My son is in the architect program at U of O and he's ready to do it. Like he's you know, he's, he gets a lot of accolades from his professors and they're like, man, you know, like you're doing, you're doing the job, like you're, you're ready, but he's still got time. And this summer he's out there grunting and grinding and doing construction and he's on the ground level. And he's like, you know, I haven't escaped the matrix yet, but my day is coming. He knows like you've got to pay the dues so that you can fully appreciate it. If you've been around, you've watched the Sean Logues and the Mark Scudstads and the Matt Heverleys and the Josh Cunninghams patiently and confidently following and trusting God and not skipping things, not skipping steps, not feeling entitled, not looking for the easy way out. I think that's why moving into this building was so special. It was a long time coming, a lot of chairs being set up in a cafeteria for a long time. You know, what's interesting to me is that God knew Noah's heart, but he didn't spare Noah from the flood. He didn't spare him from building the ark. He didn't spare him from bobbing around in a flooded earth in this ark for 370 days. He let him experience all of that. There's a phrase that the Navy SEALs use. I wish I could say I was a Navy SEAL, I wasn't, but we had one come speak. And so I did some research on some of their culture and stuff. And there's a phrase that they say that's full benefit. And it's used kind of ironically. They'll say it's full benefit 
when things go wrong, you're getting the full benefit. You're getting the full experience. You're out on a walk in shorts and a t-shirt and you get caught in a hailstorm. Full benefit. You're driving somewhere, whatever, your car breaks down. You have to figure out what you're going to do now on your trip. You're getting the full benefit. That actually happened to us a few years ago. Visiting friends in Vegas, we're leaving, headed to see family in LA. We get to about Prim, if you know where that is. Suburban has some issues. It's like really hot. And uh, our timing chain, I think, just melted and blew up. And so we got towed back to Vegas. And we were sitting on the side of the freeway waiting for AAA to come and take us back. We had the best unplanned three extra days with our friends there while our vehicle was getting repaired. I don't remember what the bill cost to get the, the Suburban fixed, but I could tell you just about everything that we did in those three days. It was full benefit. It was a great experience that was not a part of our plan. Full benefit. Noah got full benefit. You've probably noticed too, if you've lived any amount of time, that floods or storms in life are pretty common. In fact, they seem kind of unavoidable, really. I think they're our opportunity to trust God, to demonstrate a faith and hope in him as we navigate a fallen world so that God can get the glory. We know James, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials of various kinds. And he says, that's count it all joy because at the end of that, it's gonna create in you something where you're not lacking anything. That is a full benefit experience where you come out praising God. I think Noah was chosen and his family was chosen because God saw that they would come out, that they would praise, that they would have a testimony that would speak about God's glory and his grace and his mercy. It's something that I do in premarital counseling. I got a couple of weddings coming up and I'm, I'm really excited about them because there are a couple of, there are four different people here that go to Edgewater, two different couples that are following the Lord. They're trusting Jesus with every part of their life. And what's so great about premarital counseling is we have these discussions. What are you gonna do when the flood comes? What is the truth of God's word that you keep coming back to that gets you through those dark times, those difficult moments? They pick out a couple scriptures on their own and then we come together and we talk about them. And then they start to plan. They make a plan as a couple. Man, when we hit flood water, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna remember this right here? Verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. These are the first mention of what we've got here is like seasons and harvest and seed time. But what's what I love about the end of this is, well, let, let's talk about the challenges first. I think it's easy to kind of just gloss over the fact that a lot of people died. That's not an easy thing to discuss. And if you talk to a non-Christian, they will bring this, this story up. 
the total annihilation of evil. It is a difficult thing to wrap your head around. It's very, very problematic. But if you look closely, I think it was James taught a couple weeks ago in Genesis 6. It says God's heart was grieved. This grieved God that this happened. The scriptures describe God's heart really in our heart as being knitted or linked or woven together. So when we experience pain, God is experiencing pain. So we can't just assume, that would be a false assumption, that if we've got an issue with this or we see that it's difficult, we have to understand that God sees the same thing. That's hard. That's not what I wanted. God's heart was grieved. The same description is used in Isaiah 49 and it's talking about that it describes like ripping an infant from its mother. Like one interpretation says like ripping it as it's breastfeeding from its mom. That's how God felt about losing his people. But also you will see in Genesis six that he basically says, I'm going to destroy the self-destroyed. I'm going to stop the self-destroying. I'm going to stop the self-destruction. I am going to save the earth and these people from themselves. In his mercy, he puts an end to this evil and this wickedness. Total act of mercy. The same waters that God used to wipe out evil were the same exact waters that God used to save Noah and his family. So through this flood, faith is forged creates resolve, purifies, changes things for the better. We get a new covenant that he will not strike down every living creature again, God's grace. Important note for those of you that have kids and teach this story, we had uh, in our, our nursery at home, we had Noah's Ark, we had all the Noah stuff, all the animals, all of that. It's a dark story really when you think about it. A lot of people will point that out kind of a difficult thing if you really talk truthfully with kids about it. What I think is important to focus on as you teach stories like this to kids, so many books are flooded, even in Christian circles that teach behavior modification. Essentially, if you boil it down, don't be bad, be good like Noah. That's where you can get. That's where you can get with a lot of the Bible. Don't be bad, be good. Behavior modification, train up a child, have a new kid by Friday all these books that are well-intended, that are behavior modification, that don't really truly as believers do what we should be doing, getting to the heart of the issue. More like spiritual formation. You are sinful. Jesus has covered our sins. Repent, be forgiven and move on. Spiritual formation instead of behavior modification. If your parent looking for that stuff, got a ton of resources on that. I would love to share them with you. Essentially, it's not get better and be loved, but be loved and get better. Now, it's an important topic to discuss with your kids though, sin being in the world. I think Matt mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. God realizes, listen, sin is in the world and this is why I cannot des destroy man again. His heart is wicked from his youth. It wasn't just Noah's family. It wasn't just the animals that entered the ark. Sin entered the ark as well. 
Pastor and author Horatio Bonar says, it's through our sin we go to God, for we have nothing else that we can call our own. The only thing we can bring to God that is our own is our sin. That is humbling. The only thing that I have that is of any original value that I bring to God is filthy rags, my sin. Now, as we close, floods are gonna come. They even do studies on this. They prepare for it in different ways. How do you get through, how do you survive a flood? That flood in 1997 on New Year's Day, I was at a wedding the night before on New Year's Eve, downtown, a young couple from Grants Pass, very well known in the community, so there was tons of people there. I was also a college student at the time, doing my practicum and internship with Grants Pass Broadcasting, KJO, KLDR, Carl Wilson. He was also at the wedding uh, that I was at that night. It's New Year's Eve. We're having a great time. The reception, I think, was out at the fairgrounds. Everybody's having fun. It's just downpour rain. It is just nonstop raining, like the whole day and all night. Everybody is having a great time, except for Carl. He's back and forth. He comes in, he visits, he goes back outside. He's looking around, he's watching the rain, he's on the phone, he comes back in. Back on the phone, he's back in, he's out. I'm like, man, just like, we're having a great time. Just come on in and enjoy it. Well, a lot of us stayed pretty late, way late. And then a lot of us got a call at 6 a.m. the next morning. We need you down at the radio station right now. Carl knew what was coming. He was paying attention to the signs. He was prepared. We all had to be on the, I think I was on the air for like 12 hours that day, giving updates, answering the phone. I didn't get to be the guy out driving around. I wish I would have loved to have seen all that, taken video like that. But we were at all hands on deck at the radio station, New Year's Day, not how we wanted to spend our New Year's Day. Everybody was there trying to help people coordinate things, talk with law enforcement, uh, rescue teams, search and rescue, animals were getting lost. I talked with somebody here who said, they remember seeing houses float down the river that day. Carl was paying attention to the signs and he was prepared for the flood. And he was there the next day to help people get through that flood. Holland, I said, was only flooded one time in 197 years. How is that possible? Their culture prepared for what's, you've heard of a hundred year flood. They prepared for a 10,000 year flood. So you look at all the statistical probability and you say, what are the chances that something like this could happen in a hundred years or one out of a hundred? They said, let's look at the worst case scenario to 10,000 and let's prepare for that. And in consequence, they've had one flood in 197 years. New Orleans, again, at the peak of technology, resources, innovation, wiped out by one hurricane. They planned for a 100-year storm. Catastrophic event, one out of 100. In doing some digging around and some research, Mississippi is notorious for corruption and shortcuts. There were a lot of people sued and fired after that Hurricane Katrina wiped out New Orleans. Come to find out, there were a lot of people that got money that didn't do the jobs exactly how they said they were gonna do the jobs. They took shortcuts. They didn't put in their 120 years and 370 days. 
They took the money and took some shortcuts. They weren't prepared. Their city was not prepared. They ignored the signs. Opposite of Holland, they ignored the signs. They did not prepare themselves for the coming flood and they paid for it. There's an old axiom that says, if you get flooded out, you weren't prepared. You can survive the flood. You just have to be prepared to survive it. Be prepared. Trust his timing. You have a job to do. Your job is to get in the ark. Get in the ark. Jesus, follow Jesus. That, that's as simple as it is for us. Now, to close, there's one really cool thing about Noah that I was just kind of looking at the past couple of days. His name means rest, but I was looking at what he did before the flood. He's building. He's preparing for the flood. 120 years of building. The flood comes, he's on the ark. What's the first thing that he does when he gets off the ark? He's building again, right? He's building, then there is a flood, and then he's building again. He's builder, work, work, work. He's on the ark, build, build, build. When the flood came, Noah is resting on the ark. That's when he has peace. In the craziest moment of Noah's life, he's actually at rest on the ark with his family and animals, doing his job, sending the birds out, checking, whatever. I was fascinated by that. The reason he is able to rest on the ark is because he was prepared. The same thing for us, walking with the Lord, trusting the Lord, not getting lazy with our faith, not getting disconnected, just wholeheartedly following Jesus, coming on a Wednesday night. You guys could be at the Jackson County Fair, living it up, listening to some rapper. You're here tonight, praise the Lord, with your church family, praying with people, having a meal together, praising the Lord, looking at God's word. What a blessing. The mud brick baking Egyptian slaves that Matt reminded us to look at their perspective and what they would take from this. It's hard to say, but I think that they would probably say, man, floods are devastating. They'll probably come, maybe not necessarily again in this way, but we gotta be prepared. And ultimately, we gotta remember that our God is, God is just, he is righteous, he is gracious, and he is merciful. And we should praise him for it, amen? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being all these things, a just and righteous God who is gracious and merciful. I pray that we would be a people who are continually praising you. Building our own altars of just in whatever way to, to bring praise to you, to glorify you. I thank you for um, being patient with us. I thank you for um, sending your son, Jesus, so that we can have a relationship with you. I thank you for your covenantal promise that you will never again destroy the earth and all your creation with a flood. Thank you for being a God of second chances. I pray if there's anyone here tonight who does not know you in that way, 
who needs a second chance, who needs to enter through the one door to get onto the one ark that they would not leave here tonight without getting prayer. I pray that you would bless this week, that you would be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys. God bless you.